0: Welcome to Berenson Bond Podcast, Episode Seventy Three, with your hosts Corey and Diego Berenson. All right, Diego, get in here. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um. Uh. Let's see. Yes. Hello. 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 Okay, I didn't do a proper introduction. Uh Today's guest is Marcelo Aprile, one of my favorite Brazilians of all time, hailing from Los Angeles, California, but originally from Brazil. So here's Diego with his super hot question. Bring the heat. (laughs) Um, What made you want to be a colorist?
1: Oh, wow. So... To be honest with you, I never wanted to be a colorist because I didn't even know that was a thing that people did this. So I always wanted to be, I always wanted to work, uh, to be really honest with you, Diego, I always wanted, what I really want to do, I wanted to be a musician. So I had a band and we used to play, we did concerts. Um, But we, you know, that was back in Brazil, we're not going anywhere. And I'm like, okay, I got to go with plan B. And that's one big thing. I always have a plan B, my friend. And um, I went with plan B, which was video editing, you know? Because when I was about your age, back in a time where we, the only way we watch recorded videos, I know this is going to sound a little alien, but was through this thing called VHS, which was this, School, like this big piece of plastic uh, that we should put in this machine and play and then I got my dad's VHS and my grandpa VHS and I put the two together and I started making like recording things from TV and then putting audio tracks and making like stupid little you know fun videos and I'm like oh I love doing this I want to do this you know for the rest of my life so that was my plan B. So that's what I went with. But after I started working at this post-production house, I met, you know, Color Correction, which for people that do not know what it is, it's uh, Photoshopping, moving pictures pretty much. And then I fell in love. I'm like, oh, this is great. And then, They also told me that colors made more money than editors. I was like, I like this too. I'll be honest with you; it was part of the decision. I'm not gonna lie. And uh, yeah, and then I'm like, I'm gonna try to do this. And yeah, that's what I'm, what I like to do. Yeah. What was the other thing
0: about
1: growing up? Um. What What was it like growing up in Brazil? Um. Well, we had two parts. Um, the first part, probably until, I was like maybe 12, 13, 14 years old, was really good because my dad he you know, we live in a middle class family. Um, my dad, you know he started he used to work for Ford Company, you know, the car company in Brazil when I was young and then he opened his own car shop and you know, he grew from that. And that was good, but then um, in the 90s, we had this horrible thing in Brazil. We got a president that came in, and he wanted to change the currency. He wanted to, uh, because we had major inflation, like hundreds of percents a month. It was ridiculous. And um, they, uh, what they did was they wanted to have a currency that would be linked to the dollar. So it would be one-on-one exchange to the dollar to start with. But in order to do that, they did this horrible gimmick when they froze everyone's bank accounts, and they said, "Oh, you can only re- you can only get like three hundred dollars from your bank account, and everything else is going to be frozen for a year and a half, and converted to this new currency, and then give it back to you." But then a lot of people just you know because of cash flow, they just bankrupt they didn't have enough money to keep the business until and 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 the way they converted the money, they gave the money back afterwards. But they gave it like, if you think about the value of the money, they gave like way less than what was really worth, you know, purchase-wise. So it was a big scam in Brazil. I'll tell you, if it was in any other country in South America besides Brazil, people would be on the street burning cars and doing crazy things. But we have carnival, so everyone forgot about it. Um, so anyways, my dad bankrupt and then it was rough because my dad wasn't working. My mom wasn't working. I was looking for jobs and, you know, then it was rough for like five, six years until finally I got a job that I could, you know, help my family, save money and get out of there. That's what I did. And here I am in America.
0: whoa hey let me read you something here hop out of there so you can listen to this that's awesome this check this out this is a book i always think of you for uh i had this marshall actually show me this book a long time ago have you ever seen this
1: no what is this
0: okay it's a it's a surfer named jamie Prisic, right oh no way and he used to surf a lot in brazil i don't know if he lives there Mm. full-time anymore that's awesome but the book's title is We Approach Our Martinis With Such High Expectations, which oh, is like it captures uh, so much in like a sentence, you know, like yep. literally that, like you want, you expect so much from this little drink to take me away, help me escape, get me out of this earth. Let's let's transcend with their little drink. And then, you know, you put all that, put it all on a pedestal and you don't realize like you need to sort yourself out. First, right?
1: Right. Yes.
0: So it goes through all these little, he just writes poems and notes when he's surfing and stories and, but let me read you this part because this, this really, uh, it really resonated with me and I want to hear your thoughts. All right. So where did I put it?
1: And then before Diego go, I got to tell, I got a story for him.
0: Okay. Go for it.
1: No, no. Do your book first.
0: You sure? Okay. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this will inspire something deeper in the story, right?
1: Hey, it might be all, you know, linked to it.
0: Okay, good. So, the first time I really felt real was during the midday run on Bada Beach in the summer of 91. There were thousands of bronzed bodies, sardine canned from the street to the shoreline, and I trotted my way through ankle-deep water, weaving in and out of bathers, surfers, soccer balls, Fresco bowls. I dart left to avoid a three year old. Right to make for, to avoid a wrinkled grandpa. There were dental flossed rock hard bundas and speedoed springy football legs. The entire spectrum of real life all speckled about the sand. Because this is what Carioca's do on sunny summer days. They go to the beach. With a racing heartbeat and a stride that felt like Pele's the balmy Atlantic crashing at my knees, then receding back to its unknowable self. I felt for the first time, saudade. Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, saudade.
0: So, saudade. Which is a
1: word that only exists in Portuguese. Okay. I don't
0: know if you know that. So, saudade. Thank you. Portuguese word meaning to miss, to long for. Now, we've all missed our homes or longed for a loved one, but saudade to my interpretation, is more about missing out on a life never lived. Yes, I could move to Rio tomorrow and spend the rest of my days here. But this would not be the same as experiencing all the rites of passage along the way. For example, learning to ride a bike on the swirling footpaths of Ipanema, or going to my first football game at Maracana with mom or dad, or giving up my virginity to the family's mulata maid, I was not Brazilian and never would be, and for this I felt like I missed something. Ten years later, I find myself thinking the exact same thing. Looking out over the stretch of Ipanema, I saw nothing but animated beings talking, laughing, bringing in the good life. There was a vibrato in the air that was more energizing than 50 cups of coffee. Rio could be a great alternative to Viagra, Guga said in a mockery of the American wonder drug. Just the very lifestyle, lifestyle here will solve the same problems. He hit the nail on the head. This is the place to go if all seems lackluster or flaccid. As the sun slipped behind that enormous rock to the south and a roller, baiter, roller skater rolled by, someone dancing to the beat of her Walkman, I concluded that the strange hunger I felt in my belly was not the need for a hamburger, but saldache. <laughs> the desire to live a life in rio from beginning to middle to end
1: oh wow i love it
0: so i was like man i think of you cuz you lived there then you went to america then you went back then you came back yes. to america yes
1: <laughs> and saudade had a lot to do with that you know cuz it's it's the, the the reason i said uh, it's saudade is more than just miss missing, you know. It's like when you're, it's a very deep word that has a lot of meaning into it, but it's mainly like when you really miss something and you really wish someone could be with you and all of those things, you know, when you wish you were there and when you remember, you know, how it was to be there, you know, and all of that. And um, yeah, and it's funny how you say, like that, that, the, the way he describes, you know, Ipanema and all those people, it's really how, you know, it's so alive when you go like, cause those places are, you know, when you go to a beach in Brazil on a summer, it's in, it's so packed. I, I, I'll explain this to you. I remember going to the beach in Brazil on a summer and we did not have a place to put our uh, umbrella. It's, it was, you know, they have those big sun, you know, shade umbrellas yeah that's how you go to brazil with one of those you stick it on the sand and you put a little you know towel and or maybe a chair little you know bucket with some beer you know and there's oh and there's a whole food uh, like all these people walking with little cards selling food drinks like alcohol they'll mix for you they'll make this amazing drinks for you like you know like something that a bartender in a very expensive bar here will do for you. They'll make it for you on the beach. It's very cheap. And uh, they have ice cream for the kids. Whatever. So it's very well served. So you look at it and you see, if you look at it from above, you do not see the set. You only see the umbrellas. I, I i will send you a picture. It's crazy. Right next to each other. So literally, there's not a place. So you need to walk until you find a spot that you can sit at to, you know, to picture how crowded it is. And you look at the, you know, and and the the water is very warm to the point that I remember being so warm that it wasn't comfortable to be in the water. You actually leave the water to go grab a cold drink or to get a, you know, a shower because the water was like unpleasant, hot. (laughs) And so you see all of these people on the water. It's, it's, you know, the thing is a It's crazy. It's really. Oh, sorry. I was just muting my phone. <laughs> it's really crazy. Um, yeah. And I love what, yeah. And I, I, I and um, something that I'm going right. to tell you afterwards has to do with some of these things that he said. Um, but how long we have Diego for? So, I, I
0: yeah. So, sure. what, yeah. What was the story you wanted to tell him?
1: Okay. So, Diego. Did your dad ever tell you how you, um, how you're made, how you came to be? I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to break it for you. (laughs) Your dad, okay, in a beautiful, gorgeous day, went to Mexico. Put his hands on a tree, which was a magical tree. And that's how you're born. <laughs> okay, now I'll tell you the story, but it's <laughs> it's true though. You can you know now now I'm gonna now I'm gonna spin your head. <laughs> so your mom was part of this, still part, I guess. I don't know. It's part of this um, very awesome charity. Um, I, I want to say company. I'm trying. I'm missing the word here. Foundation, I should call it. What should I call it?
0: Uh, it's the nonprofit.
1: A nonprofit. There we go. That's what I was looking for, right? Uh, called Coração de Vida, right? That helps, you know, poor kids. Uh, and we took a trip to Mexico to go see, because we all used to work together, me, your dad, and these other people. And we took a trip to the, you know, to go meet the kids. Um and uh it, it was awesome. It was an it was an amazing day. But they mentioned that they had a tree there. There was a tree that everyone who touched it, um, you know, the girls would get pregnant and the you know the 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 dads would you know become a parent. So me, your dad, this girl called Rachel, remember was there?
0: Yeah, I am i didn't actually remember this till you're telling me. I forgot about
1: and, it. <laughs> and who else was there with us? But anyways, I remember the three of us. We touched the tree. And right after that, we all had kids, man. I'm not kidding. And <sighs> I was trying to have a kid for over a year.
0: That's right.
1: Right after that, my wife got pregnant. And then a little after, your mom got pregnant. And a little after... Rachel got pregnant.
0: <laughs> I forgot all about that.
1: So there you have it. This is how you're born. Because your <laughs> dad touched a tree.
0: A magical tree in Mexico.
1: A magical tree in Mexico. Correct. <laughs> Anyways, I really want to tell you that story.
0: Yeah, that's great. So, uh, yeah, I forgot about it. So not only did we touch the magical tree in Mexico, we touched... We walked through, when we went to Thailand on our honeymoon, one of the giant uh, Buddhas is laying down, huge Buddha, full laying down pose, not the sitting pose. Oh, wow. And then they have maybe a hundred little gold pots, right? All along the wall. And they give you as many little coins as you can hold in your hand. Yeah. And you're... uh, you know, kind of, you, you put a little couple coins in each golden pot asking for, you know, gratefulness or something you're looking for, but especially if you want to have a baby. Oh, wow. You put the coins and say, you know, I want to have a baby. This is why. Uh, you imagine it. You ding, ding, ding all the way down, and you touch this foot, I think, or something like that. Wow. And now there was that and then something else where, you know, at the time, we were worried we couldn't get pregnant, right?
1: Right, yeah.
0: So it was very emotional at the time. Like, I oh, just putting in, it felt silly, you know, but putting no, in his co- coins and walking down. Yeah. And on the outside was a courtyard where they lined with the smaller sitting Buddhas all the way yeah. around this big courtyard. And then that was the outside, but the inside was like, I'm talking 50 feet. It's huge. It. you can look it up just laying laying buddha i think is what it's called cool but that plus the mexico tree and then you appeared
1: yeah see yours were a little was a little more complicated <laughs> had, buddha was involved on in coins <laughs> not just the tree
0: yeah that's i the miss tree. going there me and lisa always talk about going back to baja we had so much like i missed the lobster and just seeing the kids oh and, god yeah. You know. Do you go down there at all to Rosarito anymore?
1: You know, I used to go, but it got so violent after my kid was born, I was like, uh, maybe I won't go right now. Because the pro we used to go to this, you know, like we, we used to go a lot. Um and uh, you know, we had all this um closed like complexes with houses that they rent like right by the beach and we will go, you know, first thing in the morning to the beach, and the guys had just, you know, fish and, and like they'll they'll bring like the freshest catch ever, and we we'll make you like some amazing ceviche that they put on this huge uh, plastic cup. That was the most like wonderful thing, and then you grab a beer, and then I didn't I didn't need anything else in life at that moment. <laughs> ceviche, the beer, by the beach. I was like, uh, just leave me here. I'm cool. I'm good. <laughs> um, and yeah, but then the problem is to get there. You know, driving through right. to get there, we heard some you know bad stories, and then we uh we we took a break. But I can't wait to go back. Yeah,
0: yeah. well so when we last went to LA for our father son camp trip? Remember, we were gonna come meet you oh, and yeah, swim. I swim know. That's right. So this is Marcel that we were gonna go to his his place and swim. They didn't work yeah. out, you know, you had to work and all that, you were jammed up to get that project. But yeah. now you met him, so when we go back, we're still on the fence about if we're gonna come this summer or not. Uh well, right. we might it's do another thing. Texas camping trip and sure. uh one more year, then maybe for sure next year come back. So it's on the fence right now. Right. It's just, you know, we're things are easing back into moving around I and get we'll, it. you know. I hear
1: you. But next time you come, Diego, barbecue. And the pool deal. We're doing yeah. this.
0: Did you have any? You want I mean, to ask any? You want to wonder what it's like to be a Brazilian in America? Do you have any questions before I release you? No? Well, now you know how you were born.
1: Double, there you go. Double that, magic. That's all, yes. All right. You want to this go? is Wait really sure? what was all about. We just want to tell you how you were born. We <laughs> prepped this so we could tell you. Your dad was a little nervous. But I was like, don't worry, we'll tell him.
0: All right, so now you know. Cool? Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you. Diego, thank you. It was great to see you. I can't wait to see you in person again. And yeah, man, be good.
0: All right, get out of here so we can make fun of you. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, he's exiting the building.
1: He's officially
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah, What's man. What's happening? Thank you again so much for taking some time. I appreciate it.
1: No, thank you. It's great talking to you and, you know, being listening to your podcast. I love it.
0: Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's, a, it's interesting. You know, it's, I don't know, you know, only a few people, you know, it's like you do it for the few people you really care about that actually listen to it, you know? Yeah. And yeah,
1: uh, totally. so if
0: you listen, I, I appreciate it. You know, it's not, no, obviously not for anyone. It's, it. it's a, I don't know, it's my time capsule. So totally. I appreciate it. Yeah, have you had any no. favorites?
1: You know, I was just listening to one um this morning actually, because I was showing it to my wife. That was just you and Diego. Um when you're like I think it's called like back to the world or something like that.
0: Ah uh, yes, uh-huh.
1: And I don't know, man. I mean, just the two I, I, I love like having just like father and son. You know, looking at like, not like analyzing, but looking at something, you know what I mean? And giving their perspectives or something and talking about their time together. I don't know. I mean, I love when you have people in because, you know, it's great for, especially for Diego to get, you know, to meet these people and get a sense of, you know, um, how, you know, other people go by. You know, that's one thing that I worry about my daughter a lot. You know, because I feel like our, like compared to the way we grew up, our kids are so lucky, you know, and they have it so easy, quote unquote, right. um, that I like for them to have a perspective of life. It can not always be like that and for them to realize how lucky they are, you know. So I love when you have people, but when it's just the two of you, it's like, oh, man, this is so, you know, it's like very, as you mentioned, like a time capsule, and I imagine, like him, I imagine Diego, um, old as a grandpa, sitting <laughs> with his kids and his grandkids and listening to this and be like, here, this is my, th- this is like that thought for me because we, we don't have that, right?
0: Right. Yeah. We don't like.
1: <laughs> Recently, my, Cousin sent me a picture. We have a group, like a WhatsApp trip of the family. Uh-huh. And she posted a picture of my grandpa when he was probably on his 30s, right? In Brazil, like it's a, you know, like an old brown, yellow picture. Nice. Um, And and he's uh, walking, holding this kid on his head, which was my... Uh, Uncle, uh, who they both passed already. But I'm going to print that picture and I want to put it on the wall because that's probably the oldest um, uh, memory or whatever, you know, that Mm -hmm. I have of my grandfather. And, um, you know, but, like, imagine if I had, like, something that he, you know, him speaking to my dad or you know <laughs> and I can see something today that's
0: great I never I didn't think of it past him being a grown up I didn't think of him showing his kids also yeah you know.
1: and then this will live forever you know so I think it's great what you're
0: doing oh thank you yeah it's uh, it's awesome like it it, it reminds it, it helps me with so many things of how you know how I interact reminding me to listen and not you know, you get in dad mode where you're like, let me just tell you everything. Sure. You're a kid. I don't need to listen to you. But then at the same time, like, no, I if I want him to talk to me later and think openly, I have to basically shut up sometimes and let him. Absolutely. Tell yeah. me whatever he's into. Because then I thought about myself, like, we have this constant thoughts in our head. Like, whatever is on your mind right now has probably been whatever the priority is right now is just circularly floating in your head whatever's sure most pressing right it's that's the focus right sure and for us it's the most important focus that we think Absolutely. and then for, and then for them they have a their whole world it might be what something that you think is not important or something it's not yours so you're like ah it's not as important because it's not my concern he loves a right. he's all thinking about playing basketball or a video game or a, or like today was like he needed shoes. So like every thought, every sentence revolves around the shoe because he he jogs and he wanted some new running shoes. I'm like, cool. Yeah. It's like every thought is that. And I think like, man, don't you think about anything else? And then I'm like, if you flip it, if I told you everything I'm thinking about, it's like three things just constant, constant until you do the thing that you're thinking about or the time passes or whatever. And then you move on. But we're, we do the same thing. And so I just kind of you know, sometimes just sit and think like, Oh, I should just I should just listen. Like, don't put so much weight on what they say because it changes just like we've changed every yeah. couple years, you know, you're you're into whatever right now. Think of yeah. you think of you a couple years ago with something else and you know, we all do yeah. that.
1: And I and that and, and that
0: and that really helps me try and listen better. You know, yep. Um, in general, um, so that's been a big, a big shift for me. I think it's just trying to listen. Like even what you just told him about growing up, man, it's another thing that shows me. I never asked you that question, and we worked <laughs> together for <laughs> years,
1: right? But, years. You know, it's, but that's but that's 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 really <laughs> it's like normal. Like people don't talk about. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know how many people really, uh, you know, to be honest with you, thinking about work, I, I put, in a, you know, I can count in my hand, in one hand, how many people know, like, the story, for instance, right? Because we don't talk about this kind of stuff, you know?
0: <laughs> so you and, left, uh, it was rough, and you left... You, yeah, I'll you say. did it. So, I mean, that's no—that's no small feat, man. You, you've come. You left a continent. <laughs> you know, it's
1: crazy.
0: It it's is no small it, move.
1: And it's big. It's probably because I was twenty years old. Uh huh. Um, because like, I don't think I would have the courage to do it today, right? Because a lot of look, most people that I know, like, okay, like for instance, other friends that I made here, right? And I'm gonna, you know, it could be any country. But I'm gonna mention Brazil because that's the comparison I have, right? So I met other Brazilians that live here. 95% of them they come from rich families, right? The parents pay to have their kids go study in America and you know and work there if they can, whatever. Right. It's totally different because they can always if something doesn't work if they fail i hate that word but you know um they can go back and they're gonna they have the comfort of going back to their families and you know they have a plan b like right. i mentioned a plan b when i came here there was no way to go back because all the money i had saved for 3 years Whoa. working I paid for the trip. Right, so what I did was I had the money to, you know, to, for the down payment of the flight ticket. Cause then I paid, I kept paying afterwards. I had a little bit to leave with my parents because they're both unemployed. It was a very rough time in Brazil. My dad lost everything he had. He lost his house. He lost his cars. Not cars. He had one car. One car, his house. So he went to leave. Um, you know, he he went to leave on a rental apartment. Okay. Uh, with my mom, and they're both looking for jobs. Tough times it was hard to get anything. They're old for them to go back into the you know the workforce were hard. So I left a little bit of money for them to go by. I'm like, here you stay. You know, this is something that should last for like six months. That's how long, you know, that's how long I have. I'm going to figure things out there. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll start to send you some money. We're going to make this work. So December of 1999, it was right before I, I flew on December 17th. That was right before the New Year's. It was the Millennium. Right, right. It was the two thousand New Year's, the big Y two K, the Y two K, in Brazil, the biggest party, national party, it's carnival. But the second one is New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, it's a major event in Brazil. If you go to the beach at midnight, you will be packed with people dressing white. Everyone's in white. There's a major fireworks. There are major fireworks. You can watch on TV, if you see the fireworks from Ipanema Beach, but every single beach in the country has huge fireworks. And it's a huge party. People stay up all night partying to celebrate the New Year's. And especially this one. It was going to be the biggest (laughs) party And
0: you left before.
1: And I left before. (laughs) All of my friends, they were like, what are you doing? But the plane ticket was very cheap for those days. So I'm like, I can only go, I can only afford to go now. And I had a friend of mine who lived here, who was here for six months and he was going to move back to Brazil on the beginning of the year. And he said to me, if you come now, you can live in my house, you know, you can stay at my place. I have roommates. I have a job already that you can do, you know, I deliver food for um, um, this Italian restaurant. So, I was going to be all set up. I'm like, i got to go. So I did. And um, and I remember I was working. Then I got a second job as a valet parking, parking cars in Malibu in this restaurant. And we worked on a New Year's, right? For, mm-hmm. At midnight. We're there working. And all Brazilians, there were maybe like six guys. And we're always standing in front of the restaurant, right? Because you had to be in that pose of waiting for the cars. Right. Just standing there like military pose, whatever, and uh, and they, and it was midnight, so we all, you know, looked at each other and said, Happy New Year, you know, shook our hands, and there was this guy right next to me, who was the biggest, toughest guy, and then I looked at him, and I could see, like, he started to cry, you know, and I'm like, you're crying, dude? He's like, no, I'm not crying. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like it was very emotional for all of us because everyone was like partying, and, yeah, you know, whatever. And we we're standing there working. But that, that for me also had a big – but it doesn't matter because at 3 in the morning, four of us got into our car, went to Big Bear, and I slept um, until we got there. I remember waking up with my friend doing donuts in the ice. Um you know, drinking gin um, Bean uh, with Coke and, uh, yeah, and then we had a great time. We went snowboarding and it was a great New Year's. But anyways, um, that's, yeah, that's how I ended up getting here. And then working, saving to go to school to do TV, right, to do cinema because I, I started to go to university in Brazil. I'll go back a little bit. I couldn't afford to go to a good university in Brazil, right? So I had to go to a very, you know, um, trying to find the words like here. A, I like a purpose, community but...
0: college or something?
1: Yeah, it was worse than that. It was a private, bad university. And then it was a four-year course on radio and TV, because that was the closest you could get to anything related to post-production. Right. And then after two years, I realized I wasn't um, getting anywhere. Um in Brazil you have to do a test to get into the universities because there's way more people trying to get in than the you know the spaces in all universities. Oh wow. So every single university now they have one it's one test for that works for all of them. But back in the day let's say I picked five universities that I want to go. I had to do one test for each, right? And I it was very hard and I passed on the best ones. But I could only afford to pay for like the fifth one, right? So I end up doing the that one. And then after two years, I'm like, man, I'm not learning anything. This is not gonna get me anywhere. So I stopped at university and moved here. And I was saving money to finish here, to go to cinema school, which is very expensive. Yeah. you know? Yeah. And then um, I, uh, I used to deliver food for this company. I mean, a lot of happened since then, but I'm jumping to the future. Gotcha. And I, um, and then I remember the very first day it was called, the place was called Riot in Santa Monica, California. And I remember my boss calling me and saying, hey, you're going to deliver food to this place. It's called Riot. It's one of the biggest post-productions, commercial post-productions in LA. They used to be my biggest client and they haven't an ordered from me in years. So I needed to go there and do a great job because I want to get him back as a client. And I remember getting to the place, and this is gonna sound very corny, (laughs) but I stopped in front of it, and I looked at it, and I said to myself, I'm gonna work here someday. And that that, not that I was thinking and being positive, oh, I'm gonna work here someday, but that thought came into my head very strong. And I thought of it, and I said it, I'm gonna work here someday. And then I delivered the food, met the people. I went back to my job, to my boss, and told him about it. Went home and told my wife. And I think my wife at that point, she said, oh, yeah, honey, of course you will. But she, I, I really think she did not believe it. <laughs> she was just saying, yeah, of course you will. Of honey. course, be you know?
0: positive. I like it. I like yeah, it.
1: Yeah, of course you're going to work there someday. <laughs> but she's so sweet. that she started like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you will. Anyways, um, then I we started I started to go there a lot because he, be, he became a big client again. And uh, I told the guys in the client service area because we should deliver food in the kitchen to the client service who would play the food and bring to the clients, the people that work there. So I told them, oh, I want to do this. I want to work in post. Can I visit the place? Can I see this? And they were like, okay, you want to work? So why don't you work here? And they go, what are you talking about? I'm saving to go to school. They're like, oh, no, don't waste your money or your time because business, like, the the technology is changing so fast that by the time you finish school, you're going to learn the old technology, and you're not going to, you know, when you get out of it, you're going to know, like, film theory, all these things, they're not going to help you um, to get a job. You're going to start at the same spot that you are right now. So they asked me, do you know how to make coffee? I'm like, yeah. Like, okay, do you want to start working here? So... I went back to my boss and I said, I'm going to quit because I'm going to work at a post office because I wanna, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And my boss laughed at me, looked at me and said, oh, well, sweet dreams. Uh-huh. Together. And uh, this is the kind of things in life that give me so much energy and push me so hard. Yep. And uh-huh. then, but it was tough because by going to work there, I dropped my salary in half. So I was working there in the morning, like from eight to four. Then at night, I was working in a sushi restaurant delivering sushi. And then after that, at midnight, me and my wife, we used to deliver newspapers. So we had three jobs.
0: No way.
1: To be able to pay the bills, to help our families. And so for a while, that's what it was. So I started in client service. After two months, They promote me to work in the vault, which is where they store all the film, the tapes and all that. And then after a year, they promote me to work in a dub center where they made all the copies before everything was delivering tape. Mm -hmm. Nothing was digital. So we should make a lot of copies, you know, for TV shows. I was working. That's when the TV show started to become very popular with, you know, I was working on Sopranos that would entourage Rome. Cold Cases, all these TV shows that started this new era of, you know, with HBO, um, like like TV shows became, you know, they went from being that, you know, almost like a soap opera, like comedy, you know, to be like, though I mean, there were TV shows before, I'm not being fair here, but it was another phase right, of right, right. people really enjoying TV shows, you know, like I just thought of Dallas, not being fair with <laughs> um, <laughs> well I mean, yeah, it did
0: I, move from like sitcoms sitcoms and soap operas primarily Till then it's like we entered the drama phase which was just another uh, like an American telenovela in, cr- in crime form that <laughs> just took yeah, over and
1: it and strictly for adults right. that was one thing you never saw the kind of violence that you saw in Sopranos or the kind of language or you know nudity you saw on um, Deadwood
0: that's true um, it was not family friendly <laughs>
1: No, definitely not. Um, and um, so there was a new era, right, of TV with film. Everything was shot on film. Anyways, um, so after that I worked. But then I then I didn't need three jobs anymore. But then what I had to do was I would work for eight hours, uh, getting paid. And then I would stay in the company for another eight hours on my own time, not getting paid, hanging out with the people that... War on the next department that I want to move up to. Learning from that. And the truth is that they did not want to teach me. Like, they're like, what is this Mexican? I'm like, I'm Brazilian. Whatever, whatever you want. (laughs) They didn't Um, want to teach you? Oh, hell no. Absolutely not. They're like, what are you doing here bothering me? And I'm like, no, no, no. Can I just watch you? Means a few people are nice, but the majority weren't. So can I just watch you? Like, whatever. Stay there, kid. And I watched them. And then after watching, taking notes, I was like, I can't get what you're doing. And then I used to tell him, listen, if you ever want to take a break, maybe you want to you know, have some coffee. I can do your work. You tell me what to do. And, uh, you know, and I'll I just try to help you out because I see you running around. And then those guys were like, oh, you want to? Sure. And then after a few months, those guys were sitting on a chair, drinking coffee, just barking orders at me. Hey, kid, just do, do this that, But that's how I learned.
0: Nice.
1: And then I could do their job. And then after, you know, the company was growing because all these TV shows, commercials. So then every year I got got lucky in a way. I was, I mean, I I can't take away what I did to make it happen because a lot of people stay in the same department forever. But I also got lucky. The company was growing. So every year I was able to move up. So I went from the dub room to work on the graveyard shift assisting colorists that used to transfer dailies for the TV shows. Then I got moving to the daytime shift assisting commercial colors that used to, you know. And then I became a colorist on the graveyard doing TV shows, Uh, became a colorist in the morning um, doing commercials. And that's when I got hired by New Hat, which is the company that I'm at, Corey. and then uh, I worked as a colorist for a while. And that's right when 2008 happened, you know. Right. It was rough to be a starting colorist back then because, you know, there was no work. And the biggers, the big colors and the big companies, they were doing everything, even the little jobs they want to do, because they had not, you know. Um, so then after that, they convinced me to go into management. I ran the company for a while. Moved to Brazil. Lived there for three we- three years working in Post as well. And Brazil is great. I mean, going back there, my daughter was eight months old. I want my family to, you know, hang out with my daughter. But uh, am I talking too much?
0: No, you're fine. You're fine. Um,
1: and, um, and that's when the... Expect- Remember when we talk about expectation? Mm-hmm. That's when the expectation thing comes.
0: Okay, so you... You got a huge, nice offer to be in management at the big post house back in Brazil. So to move your family there, you know, were you planning on, I'll just put in some time and come back? Or was it like, oh, this is my chance to go back with good pay and stay? When you went, when you went.
1: Here's the thing. I, by then, I was a citizen, right? I had dual citizenship. And I want to make sure that I had my citizenship. Because I want to have a plan B. (laughs) B. (laughs) If it didn't work, I could come back. Right. And, but I went like, um, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's a longer story, but I didn't even want to run the company that we worked together with. I told them because when I moved to that company, I already had plans to go back to Brazil. When my daughter was born, after she was born, me and my wife were going to move back we always had this plan. And I told the owners, I don't want to do this. And things happened because you know the people they were running, they didn't like whatever. And things started happening. They got to a point that everyone that worked there, the colorists, they said, dude, you're already running the company. Now just take the title and the pay and stay here for as long as you want. And I told them, I'm going to stay here for a year. I'm going to try to Get this place back in its feet, we're gonna make a lot of changes. And I'm gonna go and they can run on their own. Um, and then and that's you know, I left, went back to Brazil with no plans to move back to the United States. I was like, maybe I can live in Brazil. Maybe, you know, we can maybe. Let's see. So but the expectation thing, I think it's funny now because one thing is. I left Brazil when I was 20 years old. I was moving back when I was 32. But I remember Brazil of where I left. When I was young, all of my friends were young. So we were partying. We'll get together all the time. We'll go, you know, we'll travel, we'll do whatever. Um, and it was a lot of fun. So thinking back, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go back and we're going to do the same. That was my expectation. Uh, oh, and the other part was another interesting thing is when I became the managing director at New Hat, uh-huh. I mean, even though New Hat was a small company, if you think about the food chain, I had got to the top, right, of that company. Right. There was nowhere else to go after that. Oh. And I was getting paid really well. And I felt like, okay, this is it. I figured it out right. I got to the top. I studied, you know. I I put a lot of effort this is great and I never forget Corey me and my wife went to Hawaii for the first time my daughter wasn't even born and I remember standing at the beach you know in this beautiful place and somehow I could not be happy it was very weird I felt almost depressed in a way and it was such a it was tough for me to think of that. I'm like, how am you know? Am I being uh, ungrateful? Mm-hmm. How come am I thinking like this? And then I, afterwards, I understood really what was happening in my head. And but the, for me, what it is is, it's again. I don't want to be you know, um, you go to this commonplace and say when you reach the top and you get you know the money and the career or the fame for other people, whatever it is. And you feel that's what life is all about. That's what's going to fulfill you. And it doesn't. It's a shock. It's like you hit a wall. Like, Oh man, it is true. This is not it. This is not what life is all about. You know, and how they say the journey, it's more important than, you know, it's all very true. And then it was a shock for me I'm like oh man it's true I definitely need to this is so that's why I definitely decided yeah we're going to go back to Brazil we got to try something else I got to keep on doing new things right whatever and then we left got a very good job in Brazil working for one of the biggest post houses there starting a whole new project it was a small post post house they were part of the biggest studio um the second biggest studio in Latin America, complex with a lot of money, and they want to do post. So I started through the company three years, and um, through throughout those three years, me and my wife we never talked about going back to the United States ever, and we're living there. And I can I mean it was great because we we had a very good you know we live in a nice apartment that was paid for had a really good job. We used to go, we used to travel a lot in Brazil, go to very nice places, places that we never, could never afford to go when we lived there before. Um, we'll go out all the time. We had a great life. And, um, but the violence in Brazil, it's really one thing that I could not deal with. So real quickly, in three years, one time, you know, um, some Guys rob a bank, and they were fleeing from the bank robbery, and they came across um, the cops right in front of the apartment where I lived, and there was a showdown like, between them in front of my apartment. I woke up. I woke up at three in the morning with uh, listening to semi-automatic rifles, just because the 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 robberies they had. Um, guns that the police didn't have there they had like M16s they had you know um they had armory that it's used here in the US by the
0: by the military by the, soldiers, by the military
1: <laughs> and the police down there they might have a 38 shotgun and you know a 38 uh, revolver and maybe a 12 gauge shotgun but that's about it so the, the the robbers, they kill all the cops in front of my apartment. Uh, maybe 10 of them. Wow. And they flee. And so I opened my, after, you know, I I, I got my family. We all laid on the floor, right? Because I'm like, there's bullets flying, bullets flying all over. Something can, you know, hit us on the wind or anything. So I all lay down um, on the floor. When it ended, the car I looked through the window and the cars, the police cars, you know, they're open, like the doors were open, and the police radio was on and it was quiet. It was in the middle of the night. And I could hear the police. It, it was almost like it was in a movie because the the, the robberies left. But I could still follow the chase and what was happening through the police radio, playing back inside of their police car that was there. Wow. And, you know, they- <laughs> <laughs> so I hear the police desperate. You know, and I hear the shots and they, they, anyways, they left and I followed the police trying to get these guys. They could not get it. They flee. Anyways, that was a bad experience. Then one year after I was leaving work, I went to, um, to a gas station to put some gas and I made a, you know, I made a mistake. Uh, If you can call that, you know, cause when you move back to Brazil because of safety. There are a lot of things that you do not do, right? You're careful with, you don't walk around with watches, self You're always careful when you're talking to your cell phone, uh, when you do things, in your car.
0: All the time. When you
1: pull money out, all the time.
0: No matter where you're at? No matter where you're at. Wow. Because
1: things happen everywhere. Okay. When I grew up, when I was a kid, it was only the big cities. But now it's everywhere, right? So you, and it's so sad because the people there, they're used to it. That they do not realize how crazy it is to live like that, right? You have no liberty. That's pretty much what it is. You, can, you know. So I made a mistake of put money in, you know, put gas in a car, and before I took off and closed the doors and had the windows up, um, I grabbed my phone before that while I was still parked. And Cordy, that's why you do it like this. I pull up my phone to call my wife. In 10 seconds, uh, this girl that was maybe 15 years old uh-huh. opened the passenger door, went inside my car, sat on the passenger seat, pulled a knife, and put on my belly and said, don't move. And then she said, open all the doors. And then I opened the doors of the car. And this guy came in the back. And he choked me from the back seat and put a gun in my head. I said, don't move. Money, cell phone, right? And I had my iPhone in one pocket because in Brazil, you carry people carry two wallets. They have the robbery wallet
0: <laughs> oh, man. with a little bit of money. That you can because give. Because
1: that's the other thing. And you got to give. Listen to this crazy thing. I used to tell my wife all the time, every morning. How much money do you have in your wallet? And he said, oh, I only have 20 bucks. I said, no, 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 you got to have at least a hand. Because if they rob you and you don't have enough money, they might get pissed off and kill you. So you need to have enough money in that robbery wallet to satisfy the robber. So they'll leave you alone. They just take the money and go. So I had, I didn't have two wallets because that was a little too much. But I had two cell phones, I had my iPhone, and I had another cheap phone. It was actually an Excel. it was a work phone. So I gave them my next phone, and I gave them my wallet, and they left. Luckily, you know, nothing happened to me. And, uh, but anyways, I start thinking about, you know, when my daughter grows up, how am I going to feel safe for her going? Because in Brazil, we party all night. So when the kids go out, they come home at 6 in the morning, 7 in the morning. So you don't sleep all night, worry about what's happening to them, right? So one night I went home and I lay in bed, my, my wife next to me. And then I said to her, uh, you know, honey, have you ever thought about going back? I didn't even finish the sentence. She said, right now. She's like, let's go now. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to say? Go back to United. She's like, yes. Let's go back to California right now. I cannot do this another day.
0: Oh. She
1: had never <laughs> said that.
0: So she'd been thinking she it obviously.
1: Obviously. So we left. Three months later, we sold everything. Oh, and that was an amazing thing because um, um I don't wanna you know, I think it was Gandhi who said that if you have too many things, too many belongs, they they're not they don't bring you happiness. Right. The more things for you to worry about, you know, the whole story. Um that moment we made a decision because when we moved to Brazil, we packed everything on a container and ship on a cargo um, ship to Brazil. It took three months to get there. Moving back, it wasn't worth to do the same. It would make more sense to sell everything and buy new things when we moved. So we sold, Corey, I sold everything. But when I tell you everything, like things that I had, Little souvenirs, like the very first guitar that I had in my life that my parents gave. To me. I sold everything. Everything I had. And it was such a liber, like I felt so there was a, such a freedom, like feeling of not having all of this stuff around. So that's another thing that is life. And then we sold everything in three months. The only thing I kept was a guitar that a friend of mine made. He's a, you know, he made guitars. So he made me this guitar. And I was like, this is the only thing that I, there's no way to replace this, uh, was handmade for me. So I'm going to keep this, but everything else is. And then we moved G back here. God bless America. <laughs> and one year, you know, oh, another funny story. Uh, Mid thirties crisis, I moved back. And I was like, you know what? Who working in post-production thing? this is not a real job, uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> the, making... post,
0: the post-production blues we've all had.
1: <laughs> oh my God, and I was like, I'm lying to people. We sell soft drinks, and this is killing people. Uh, whatever, lying, this is wrong, what are we doing? Like we make this all these women look perfect and beautiful. Do all this beauty work, so my wife feels ugly. When she compares herself to the star, but they're not like that. It's not true. We're lying to everyone. What are we doing, anyways? So I'm like, maybe I want to do something else. Maybe I want a real job. You know, the thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this friend of mine, one of my best friends here in the my um, daughter's uh, godfather. He uh, he's a chef. You know, he's Brazilian too, and he went to um, he did Cordon Bleu, that French culinary school. He's a very good chef. And he was opening a food truck, a Brazilian food truck. And he, when I came back, he's like, oh, perfect timing. You're going to be my partner. We're going to do this together. I was like, what are you talking about? I, you know, I'm a, I work most products like, no, no, no. Let's try something else. So that was my, I'm going to try a real job thing. So we started from scratch and we opened a food truck. And we did it together for a year. It was great. Um, and then after one year, I was like, oh my God. How I hard, go is, I mean, today. that's
0: a restaurant. How hard is that grind? It's got to be just as many hours because prepping and cleaning and mo- is
1: worse. worst. Because think about a restaurant. And restaurant, you know, it's, I work in restaurants a lot. It's hard work, right? But you're working on a big space, right? If you think about the restaurant compared to a food truck, um, that's very small, and you, once you, the food truck, you know how when you end your shift on a restaurant, you clean the restaurant and you go home. Right. On the food truck, you clean the restaurant, and you drive the restaurant back to a parks. When you get there, there's all of these functions of the food truck, almost like a trailer. When you gotta dump the you know the water, put fresh water in, recharge the battery, there's all these other things, you know. Like you don't have enough space to do all the dishes, so there's some dirty dishes you gotta do, Um, and then you go home, and then to start your day, there's a prepping of the truck, you gotta put gas, you gotta put propane. So on top of running a restaurant, there's all these other things. With no air conditioning, by the way. So,
0: I hope was, you were parking in Venice.
1: <laughs> man, we went everywhere. Really? We went, oh, we had events everywhere. we drive that thing all over, you know? And, uh, you know, we had to go to Santa Clarita in the middle of the summer. And, oh, uh,
0: inside uh, of a truck. No oh, way.
1: One thir- 120. Inside of the truck, it was 120. I had a thermometer. I want to say it was 120. It was horrible. And then I was like, so I told my partner, he wasn't happy. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back. But we, we made a deal. It was great. He stayed on his own. He kept working on a foot Everything was great. So I went back to post-production. Um, and
0: uh, So wait, how, do you yeah. re- how did you re-entry though? I mean, you're coming back. Can you start at the same level or did you have to kind of take a step down to build back up? Because now you're here again.
1: Yeah, no, I had to take a step. Take a step. What happened was, when I went back, okay. One thing I knew was, I did not want to do management, right? Because some people can do that job really well, um, but I. And I, there was one. There's one thing about that whole job for me that I cannot deal with well, which is firing people, right? Um, every day that I had or or the other thing was because we were a small company we're going through one of the, you know the it was the subprime crisis one of the biggest you know crisis you know the second at that time it was second worst to the Great Depression so it was the second biggest um, crisis in in the history of the United States I guess you can talk about the wars but anyways um and uh, it was rough and we, I, I can't tell you how many, I mean, people didn't know this, but um, lots of times I didn't get paid because we didn't have enough money to get paid, for me to get paid. I always got paid last. So, so many times when we were getting to pay day, right? And it was like, okay, we got to make payroll on Thursday to pay people on Friday. And it was like Monday. And I, I didn't tell anyone, but we didn't have enough money. But I was like, maybe we can make it. And I didn't want to stress out the employees. So I didn't tell anyone, but I couldn't barely sleep. I went home and I'd be thinking, not sleeping. I worry about every single person, especially like the people that make the least amount of money, like the client service, you know, the the everyone. Like most people went paycheck by paycheck, right? They work there. Right. Besides the people then you know, anyone, whatever. Every person, no matter how much money they make, they have their responsibility. So I worry about everyone. And Corey, there were probably like three times that on um, Wednesday night, I went home and I was like, we're not going to make it. And then I was getting myself ready to, on Thursday, tell the company that I was going to delay the salaries. And then those three times... When I got to work in the morning, one time it was so crazy. I got to work early, earlier than everyone. I opened a company, I checked the mail, and it was a check from a company that paid us for something they owed and they for a long time and that made payroll. And everything went fine. And the other two times, someone called me from um, from an accountant and said, Marcelo, you have no idea. This money came in and we got this. So while I was working there, we never delayed, as far as I remember, we never delayed the salaries, but just dealing with that feeling of-
0: It's a lot of stress.
1: (laughs) It's a lot of stress. And firing someone, man, that would kill me. I would be sad for days. And then I would talk to the investors, my managers, And they were like, why are you getting, you know, why are you sleeping? Why are you getting stressed over? Like they don't, and I can tell that some people can deal with it a little better. Um, And those are the people that can do, I believe can do this job that I can't. Um, Even though there was one thing, one thing that my boss said to me once, it probably helped me, which was, he said to me, listen, Marcelo, right now, you don't want to get rid of this guy who is not doing his work properly. He's not doing his job. And uh, you worry about him and his family, right? But think about every single other employer in your company. They're busting their ass, who are working so hard, who are making it. You think by keeping it, by firing him, you affect him and his family. But by not firing him, you affect everyone else and all their families. And that was something that I could trick my mind to deal with a little better. Mm-hmm. But still, it's it's rough. So I know management was something that I did not want to do. So when I left the truck, I, um, I'm i like, okay, now I got to look for a job back in, back in post. And the very first thing I thought was there was this guy who I worked with my entire life who was running, he was the managing director at a post house called Encore in mm-hmm. Hollywood that did um, TV shows. And this is when TV shows went back to be what they are now, right? A lot of work. Yeah. So I reached out to him and said, hey, because I want to kind of feel the waters and understand what the business was, you know. So we went out for lunch just to talk, you know, at that point, I wasn't even, I mean, I thought that maybe I can ask him for a job too, but that wasn't my Main goal, I was just, it was my first step of kind of, you know, seeing like get, what. Yeah,
0: re- get reconnecting with your network, start talking to people, start your yeah, path back I- in because it's all, it's always like, you know, that relationship side of it is a big part that gets overlooked or, it, you know, you just don't know how important those relationships are. Carried you, it's the- me, me, the entire time was literally personal relationships. Every time, it's the
1: most important thing. It's the most, and I realized that I should have kept more of a network here when I moved to Brazil, which I didn't. It's my fault. Um, But I should have, and I realized that I still had, still knew a lot of people that work in business. But I wish I had known more people. Uh, But I started with this guy, and we went out for lunch. And then he started asking me, what do you want to do? Um, I had no idea, but he was already interviewing me. I didn't realize that while we were having lunch. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he's like, you want to go back to color? You want to be a colorist again? I was like, oh man, I haven't been doing this for so long. I don't know, Um, I don't want to do, he's like, you want to do management? I'm like, I don't want to do management. You know, I'm like, I was working as a director of operations in Brazil. Maybe, you know, maybe work as a producer. It's like, oh, great. He really needed a producer. I had no idea. <laughs> um, and then he started texting as after that someone. He was texting all the people at work and saying, hey, I'm going to bring this guy. Let's convince him to work here. So I went back to – so he's like, let's go back to Encore after lunch. Let's go meet – now some people I want you to see that you haven't seen in a while. So I knew a lot of people that worked there. And then they all sent me in a room, all these people that I knew – and they said, why don't you come here and work as a producer with us? I was like, oh, wow. I'm like, is this a job interview? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to. And then, so anyways, they hired me and I went there to work as a producer. And which was really, that place was, because now it's closed. It was the biggest post-production that I've seen in my my life. They had so much volume. Because not only they did the work for Encore, for their facility, but they were the hub to do deliveries and to store media for a lot of other companies in the corporation, like Company 3, E-Film, companies in England, Canada. So we dealt with everyone. And it was so many titles that we put our hands on. It was insane. And after two months of doing, I hated, so I started the job there. And my friend, I hated
0: <laughs> so
1: much. Because I thought because I was it
0: was busy be or because of the actual, the position?
1: Oh, no, I'm finally busy. I love working a lot, hours hard, time goes by fast. I love all that. But I thought I was going to be a real producer That you get involved in the projects, you think the projects through, you, um, because that's what it was in Brazil, you know, like a real producer who really helps, you know, who knows the project, Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: knows every, you know what I mean, watches the content. But I realized in that office, the way the company was set up, you were just a paper pusher. You, the, the, the producers were so busy. They didn't have time to go in the room, spend time with the callers, the editors, watch the content. So they were just spinning the wheel. And it's just like spinning plates. Like which plates falling right now? And you know, you felt like you never got the work done. Everyone was getting upset because things were, you know. And then I remember and everyone around me was giving me the BS of, oh, this is great. I love this work. But then the manager. He's the only guy that was very honest. And he sent me down. When I told him I want to quit, because at that point, I'm like, I'll quit. You guys can fire me. I would love to do something else here, but you guys can just fire. And they said, we'll never fire you. If you want to quit, you quit. We want you to stay. You're doing a great, great job. And then the manager, he sent me down, just the two of us. And he said, Marcelo, there's something about this job that every time I go home, I never feel like I did a good job. And I never feel like I did everything that I was supposed to do that day. And that is just the nature of the job. And then I, st- you almost gotta like not care in a good way, you know, about everything. Right. Like I charge. did, I did
0: what I could do in that amount of time. And now I'm leaving.
1: Things are not working. But the thing is, which I was fine with, there's never leaving. you also on your email, your phone, all night. You're dealing with companies in other countries, you know, time differences. Which, again, I was fine with it. Mm-hmm. As long as I felt like I was really putting all of my knowledge to its best. But the truth truth was, clients would tell me something. We got to do this. It doesn't matter if it's going to work or not. I'll just make it work harder, push it through, I try to get it done. Most of the people didn't care if the work was good or not. They are just, you know, living by paycheck. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. So... I'm like, I want to go back. And and then at that point, I'm like, okay, so now let's think about life, right? I was a new head working as a manager, whatever. Um, I wasn't happy, that story about Hawaii. life. Um, I went to Brazil, it was great. Went back. Let me go back in history to the moment where I was very happy doing what I did, right? No matter how much money that pays, I'm like, where is that? Because re- what I realized was when you move up in your career, uh, there is a point that it's not worth to go up anymore.
0: Or there's a hole.
1: So let's say you move up to a point where the next step, it's going to maybe you make more money, whatever, but it's not going to be worth. You're going to be so stressed out that, you know, your life, your personal life gets consumed so much, your health, your family get affected that no matter what, no matter if it's fame, money, don't take that extra step. You do not need, and that was a sentence from this religious guru to me that said to me, One day, and this is a long story. I'm not going to bother with that. But anyways, he didn't know anything about my life. And he came to me out of the blue and he said to me, I have a message for you. And I wrote it down. I'm like, what is it? He goes, the message that I was told to tell you is, you do not reach, when you're climbing a mountain, you do not reach, you do not need to reach the peak to fulfill your happiness or your goal. Sometimes, if you climb to the half of the mountain, you fulfill. that's where you need to be. You can climb higher, but the m- midpoint is where you were meant to be. And it's a, it's already, don't feel like you failed or you didn't go as far as you're supposed to go, because that was it. You climbed half of the mountain. It's already a big accomplishment. This is where you need to be. So, Thinking about that, it's funny because I have in my wallet, I still have that sentence. I wrote it down, I pulled in my wallet. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm like, okay, let me go back. And I was like, you know what? When I was assisting for colorists and coloring, not full time coloring with the pressure of Bill having to make money to the company, that's where I was happy. So I'm like, I want to go back there. So I started to learn to research on my own. The machines because they change a lot you know the color Mm correctors the editing systems you know i went on youtube which is something we didn't have back then which oh my god if i had youtube back there my life would be so much different and you know i learned how to use the machines started hanging out with the colorists and sure enough they started to ask me to work for them management had no option but to move me so they moved me to that position then i was offered a job at you know one of the colors was moving to Another company called Technicolor. He moved. He offered me to go work with him, and we move, and that's where I am right now. And I'm very happy.
0: Nice. So you're, so you're so your second coloring or your coloring?
1: I'm i I'm a. Or both. They call I'm a pre-grader. They call it right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a second colorist. So, the colorist sets the look. I, color the show based on that, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes in and he trims and touches, you know. But the goal is to get as close to the final as possible so he doesn't have to. You know, in a perfect world, he'll just do, he'll spend an hour just right. changing a few things and it's done, right? But not, I do that half of my shift and the other half of my shift, I assist the callers, I make files, I do everything. They call me the jack of all trades at work because I've done so much that there's anything they... Me, they call me and they ask me for, and then I can do, you know? So sometimes there's some random requests that come out of the blue. They're like, who could do this? And then they call me and then I'm like, yeah, I, I think I can do it. Even though a lot of times I cannot, I just tell them I can do it. Cause I know I can, you know, I can figure it out. I can go online. I can call someone. I know I'm going to figure it out. And I'm stubborn that way. And this is what makes me excited about work.
0: And so it's now you, you you went back into this spot where you say you're happier now.
1: Yes. And this is and it's funny because just a month ago, um, they asked me if I wanted to move up. There, you know, they're like, Oh, not not they're not offering me, but they were planning the future, and they're like, We just want to know because if the position comes, we want to offer you. And I'm like, you know what, guys? Sure, we can talk about when it comes. But if you ask me, I'm happy where I am. And it's that extra... But it's it's tempting. Because, <laughs> you know, you always want to do whatever. Uh, but I'm very happy where I am right now. Uh, I feel like I found that spot that I can do this and be happy for how long I want to do this, you know?
0: Well, big part of it is you told me before, not only... The work side, but the work-life balance to where you see your family more than you've ever seen them now, right?
1: Absolutely. Which because is the, which is the big my, piece
0: of that puzzle, <laughs> you know?
1: Oh, the happiness thing, and that's what see, that's what I found out. That's what it is, you know, is to be with your family, be with your friends, um, live life, you know be in the nature. Um, you know that I you know there were so many things that I used to do in my life. I love to surf, I love to ride my bike, I love to snowboard. There's so there's all these things that I used to do that I stopped doing because of work. Because I spend you know 12, 16 hours every day at work. Um, you know how it is yeah most yeah. there's it's crazy and but then I'm like no I need to put boundaries and that's what I do today you know um I'm like I you know every morning I take my daughter to school I spend time with her I make her breakfast we talk play we do whatever um and I come home right before she goes to bed so we can chat a little bit about the day and I put her to sleep. So, you know, and it's funny because for years I couldn't do that. But I did warn my wife though. When when I told my when I asked my wife to marry her, I told her, I said, listen, before you say yes, I'm gonna warn you about something. You know what I do? I work at post post-production. You would never change. I'm gonna work a lot. You gotta be cool with this. As long as you're cool with this, you know, we might have plans and the last minute, you know, something happens and we might have to cancel or you can stick with the plan. I'm going to have to go to work. Um, you got to make sure you're cool with it because I don't want to hear complaints in 10 years. <laughs>
0: it's not going to be a surprise. Like I told it's you. It's not a
1: surprise. So think about it. Be really careful because it's not easy. But anyways, but you know, eventually it got to me, right? It got to me because I I actually suffer of you know I was diagnosed with you know severe uh, anxiety and depression um and this whole thing built up over 15 years of things happening mm-hmm. that filled this bucket that just exploded um and uh, but now I found the balance in life and I realized that you know as everything in life, you gotta be balanced. So today I do all. Today I do all those things that make me happy too. And I go to work, and I'm happy at work too. I love what I do. You do know? you
0: think because you hyper focus on that because you hit those highs and lows? Has this last twelve months, or what in the last twelve months, has made you focus on it more? I guess in a sense, as far as the whole lockdown, the dealing with all this, has that shifted you focusing more on what is important? Like sure, like most of us have, but I'm saying like because you've moved. I mean, you moved, you changed careers, you you know, total changed career. Go back, like all those things is like along the line. You got married, you have a kid, you have a family. You're you're doing all the life stuff while you're doing the career things. They're side by side, and when they finally come together, it's like when you like this year we all had to stare really hard at ourselves and really, you know. I would like to think that most, uh, you know, we all look at like with a critical eye, staring at really, if I could stand outside of myself and say, okay, instead of like, I do this, I do that, like, if I was another person, how would I describe myself? Is how I was trying to be like, oh, you are this old, you have this much, this is what you do. And anything I did not like about describing who I was honestly to myself, finally this year, make a change. You know, and I don't know if those type of things hit you to where if I didn't take the time, I feel like to really stare hard and be like, ah, you know, some things you just get so busy and you just do it. Sure. Because we're just doing, this is what I do. It's the thing. I'm I'm moving, I'm shaking, whatever. Yeah. And then everything stopped. No, you're not. You're going to sit down, stay still. And I guess because you had that diagnosis, was it harder because of it?
1: So... It it absolutely happened to me. And it's funny because I was, I feel like I was getting to that realization and to that moment when I was going to realize that, yeah, this is what matters and how things can change in a second. right? And um, because, because of the whole thing that happened with my, I believe it has to do with the whole thing that happened with my family back in Brazil when we, had what we thought it was a stability and then things changed and life became really rough. So we thought, even when, what I'm trying to say is, even when you think, I I, I hate surprises, right? Because that was a bad surprise. So I hated surprises. My whole life I hate surprises. I don't like surprises. So
0: I shouldn't, I, I should hate I should not do the surprise party right now for you. Uh, no, no,
1: please please. <laughs> tell the people, you know. I see a little balloon over there. Just uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Let me text them. They're outside your window right now. I'll tell them. Yeah, don't uh, go in.
1: Funny, my wife found that out the very first year we were together was my birthday. We went out to watch a movie. Then we went home and I had a rough day at work. I was tired. All I want to do is to get home, have a wine, and sleep, right? And as soon as I opened the door, it was all of these people that I love, <laughs> but I did not want to see on that moment. <laughs> Jumping and saying, Surprise! And I pretend that I was happy, uh, but I wasn't. And then afterwards, I tried to tell her the nicest way possible Hey, love, you're awesome. This is great. But I should share something about me. Uh, I'm not really big with support things. She started crying. She, you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't cry. I loved it. But I don't write, you know what I mean? Whatever.
0: <laughs> no, you ruined and, it. Forget it. Forget
1: it. Yeah, no, horrible. She, you know, she's still like, oh, you broke my heart. Anyways, no, she does. But um, I hate surprises. So I always try to control, right? I always one thing that made my mind really busy was I ever thought about all. Oh, It's impossible to do that. But I I try to think about all the possibilities, right? What could happen to avoid having surprises? So, and some people think, oh, you're being negative, thinking about the worst case scenario. I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't wish for that. I don't think it's going to happen. But I need to think about it and have a plan. So, not only I had a plan B, but I had a plan B, C, D, E. And it was overwhelming. And so and the truth is, even if you have, even if you think you thought about every single possibility, even if you think you have control, you don't. Something can happen, you know, you can get sick. Um my daughter got we lost, we almost lost her daughter. That was another thing that was huge, because my daughter got when I we were in Brazil, she got this virus, and we still don't know what virus was, but she had uh uh, meningitis and encephalitis Whoa. together, and she lost. You know, she couldn't. She lost. Um, she couldn't walk. Um, she, we were in the hospital for 31 days. Um, it was horrible. It was probably the worst experience in my life. And luckily, we got out. She has. She had no consequences from that. She was very lucky. They for a while they didn't know if she was ever going to walk again. And, and, and they, they were worried about losing her, actually. I remember the day that I left the hospital, the nurse, I saw her on the parking lot and she came to me and she said, dad, you don't know how lucky you are because a lot of parents, um, that were in a situation that you were do not leave this place with their kids. And we were in an area, Corey, we were in a, because we, they didn't know what virus she had. So we were putting quarantine. And the quarantine part of the hospital was next door to the ICU, the kids' ICU, right? And my friend, I I used to wake up at night listening to the parents yelling and crying. I knew every time a baby died because I would hear the parents. And uh, I cannot tell. and, and, And that's... Anyways, that was one of, so that's one of the moments that your life can, you know, anything can change. And the pandemic was another moment that made us realize and made the whole world, I hope, realize that, man, what really matters yeah right? And I was, you know, I was working a lot and I was happy at work, kind of happy at work because I was working so much. What happened was I still believed that um, I still felt I wasn't being materialistic, but, you know, my parents, they're going to retire in Brazil. I'm going to have to bring them. I'm the only child. I'm going to have to bring them here to live with me. So I was like, I need to buy, I need a a bigger house, right? I need them to live with me because they need to have a room for themselves. I live in a two-bedroom townhouse. I need something bigger. Mm -hmm. So I bought a. Very nice house, like the American dream, right? This beautiful, huge house, swimming pool, four bedrooms, like beautiful. Um, and I rent my townhouse and moved there um, three months, be- uh, six months before the pandemic. Right? And then I was working hard to pay for the house. And then I realized that, and then the pandemic start, the virus thing started to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was I was diagnosed with this depression, anxiety. And um, I realized that what I was doing was I was making me and my wife become a slave. We would have to work for 30 years of our lives, another 30 years, until we were 70, to pay for this house. Um, and we, you know, like, we're, you know, we, we have no options. Like, I cannot quit my work right now because otherwise... You know, and we realized where we were going with our lives. So we made the best decision in our lives, which was to six months after buying a house to sell it. And that was, we were able to sell the house, recoup our money because the market was so hot that we sold for more than what we bought.
0: Wow, in six months?
1: In six months, dude. And The crazy thing was to convince a buyer that that house was worth, way more in a matter of six months. But we got very lucky, you know, that we didn't lose any money because you gotta pay for taxes, you know, capital gains. Right. We were able to recoup what we put down. We moved back to our beautiful townhouse, which is very nice. We live in a very nice place you know in in um thousand of Ventura County. It's very nice of you. And uh and we're happy where we are. We're happier it's funny, my daughter, I was worried about my daughter. And after a while, when we moved back, you know how our kids teach us lessons. Mm-hmm. She's like, Dad, I'm so much happier here. I'm like, really? Because your room is smaller. The house is smaller. She goes, yeah. But that house was so big that we didn't see each other much. You know, <laughs> here, we see each other all the time. We're always walking past each other. I, I, I prefer this. And I was like, wow. All right, then. Anyways, now I still got to pay for this, but I, I feel like if something happens tomorrow and I need to get another job that I don't make as much money, I can still afford to live where I live. It's a, you know, if something goes bad, something's happened, there's a pandemic and I cannot work for a year. I'm not going to bankrupt, you know, um, Um, so again, the whole thing about not going to the top of the mountain thing. Right. So then I got diagnosed with the whole depression, anxiety thing and the pandemic happened. So imagine you, um, with this high level of anxiety, um, and then a global pandemic happening. That just takes you to, you know, a level of, like, oh my God, Alexis. you know my brain was exploding. But luckily, you know, I did what I had to do. I looked for help, which my wife, she helped me because I wasn't doing it on my own. She took me to, you know, to the doctors. And um, I, you know, I, I I hate medicine. So I didn't want to take the medicine. I thought I was going to be addicted to the medicine. Mm-hmm. So finally I understood what it is. And I talked to other people who have been through this and um, I did what I had to do. And today I'm finally, you know, I'm good. I know.
0: You're managing I'm medicine.
1: it. I'm managing very well. I'm almost out of the medicine. I'm doing great. You know, the doctor is happy with, you know, like did really well. And I was able to get back, you know, on my own feet and realize what I've been through and all that. But, uh, yeah, but to answer, you know, take a long story short, to answer your question, um, it did all of that together made me realize of, you know, what is important and um, and today I'm, you know, I can balance, today I really balance things. So yeah, I have time to meditate, I have time to spend time with my family, I have time to go out in the nature and I do all these things. I make sure I do all those things. And I have time to go to work, you know?
0: That's awesome. That's some big positive changes and also goes to show, you know, I get so in my own head, like when I work, when I think of you and always have thought of you, it's just always, so, you know, I know not everything's perfect in life and problems are happening, but you always brought a real strong sense of positivity and and hope all the time, you know, so, to know that you, you know, that that was hard for you, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, but on the outside, you hit, you know, you dealt with it in a way of, you know, we try to hide things and, and that and, and, uh. But you know whatever's happening, I always felt that which I appreciated. You know, at the time since I known you, and even when I told Diego, I was like, "We're gonna talk to Marcelo, and I promise you, no matter if it goes up and down, like you're gonna have a smile on your face because Marcelo, <laughs> Marcelo's permanently has a smile on his face no matter what's happening, even when the sun is gone. It exploded. You'd be like, yeah, I can count on you to smile. So you give me that. I want you to know that you,
1: oh, well, thanks, if you man. Feel Good sad, you hear that.
0: You still exude positivity and happiness and I appreciate it.
1: And this is funny funny you say that because I was always that person, right? When the um I remember like and, at work, at home with my friends, like so many times, like everyone was down, things were falling, the sky was falling, everyone gave up. Um and I'll come in and be like, Come on, people. This is great. <laughs> like, let's do this. You know, we're at the bottom right now. We can only climb up. Um, and everyone's like, I want to kill you right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, no, no. Come on, let's do this. Even though inside I didn't feel like that a bit, truly I was almost BSing myself to feel that way. But that's how, that's the only thing you could do. And for me, I battled this idea of having depression because I was always that person. Since I was a kid, everyone knew what you told me. Um, like, I, I had people tell me that they hate me. They're like, oh, Marcel, I hate you. I'm like, why you hate me? Because you're so happy all the time. Why are you so happy all the time? You know, whatever. It's miserable people that they like. How come this guy, I cannot make myself... But even though I look like that, a lot of time I wasn't feeling like that. And that's not a good thing sometimes. Right. And the other thing was I almost um, got into a point that I felt like I was obligated to be that per- person.
0: Yeah, that was right. that was going to be I'm my awesome. next question is, is that.
1: Go uh, ahead. Yeah. yeah, I was
0: going to say that was going to be my next question like. Did you feel exactly that? Like, oh, now everybody thinks I'm happy and I'm going to bring positive. Now I have to pretend, which is going to infuriate you if you don't feel good. So now you feel worse because now you're extra pretending. Exactly. Just a little vicious cycle.
1: That is exactly what happens, you know? So, and the other other thing is, you know, um, because I was always that happy, if I was, people would notice right away just looking at my face that something was wrong, right? So some people, they're always the same. You can tell if they're really happy or sad, right? But that's a good thing because you don't know their emotion. You don't know how they're feeling. So people will come in and say, what's wrong? I don't want to talk to anyone. So I almost like to protect myself. I'll be like, yeah, no, everything's great. Everything's great. It's all going to be great. Everything's awesome. Um, And then that was also not a good thing because I was, you know, I mean, it's a good thing to be positive about things, but that was definitely... um,
0: Yeah, not if you're going to sacrifice and ignore negative feelings. You know, you have to confront everything, you know?
1: Yeah, because the energy that it takes for you to show that you're great when you're not, it's a lot it takes a lot of energy you know for you to show that happiness or whatever uh, when you're actually feeling quite the opposite you know and that was the whole thing like you know um times are tough but you want to give people a sense of um you know of hope and of you know people got to feel comfortable people got to feel like um, you know, I don't want them, you know, I want everyone at work to do the work and not have to have this extra thinking of, am I going to get paid every two weeks or, you know, um, is everything okay? Is the company going to shut down? Are we going to stay open, you know? Uh, those are the things that, uh, like, you guys shouldn't worry about that, you know? Right. Um, so, part of,
0: so part of those outlets that you say, you, have you still been making some music? Yes.
1: I would, Actually, love, I
0: would love to send me a song I would love to hear anything you've been making
1: I'm gonna send a lot of music to you right now so one of the th- oh and Corey this is crazy when I was at the peak of my depression anxiety um, people would tell me have you been listening to music my whole life. I mean music I listen to music I could not um, play music I could not make music and I could not listen to music. It got to a point that was so bad that when I heard a song, mm-hmm. in my head, I would even think about oh the lyrics, really think about the lyrics as being depressive. Of, I couldn't enjoy it. even listening to a song. I would not listen, listen to songs. I would drive back and forth listening to the news, which were the worst news ever right, the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic. You yeah. know, like, oh, great. Yeah, you're <laughs> listening to the news. Gr- great job. But because I could not listen to music.
0: ah, uh, That's definitely something not. wrong. Yeah.
1: But after I put myself together, one of the things was to make music. So I reached out to my friends in Brazil who are part of my band. I said, listen, guys, uh, we got to do this again. All right?" We gotta start doing it. So, no, we'll be, um, we, I probably, we probably recorded like 10 songs.
0: Awesome. Two of them
1: are, two of them are our own songs, but the other are just covers, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One guy comes up and say, let's do, you know, a straight cover or let's do a version of a song. And then each one of us, you know, um, uh, play the instruments, recording garage bands and projects back and forth. Uh, and I usually just you know mix everything up at the end. And no, so I got some good. You, stuff so wait, like so you mix it, and you d-
0: you just listen to the mix while you play your part and record it.
1: Yeah, usually, uh, yeah, just listening to. Usually, yeah, I just listen to the mix, uh-huh. and then I record my part. And it's funny because we we all play multiple instruments. We all like to mm-hmm. sing, so a lot of times, times I'll record a bass with you know guitar keyboard, uh, bass, and I'll sing. And then the guys will jump in and then they'll record their parts. And then they... So we have different uh, versions of... Even like different versions of the guitar. One that I made, one that my friends made, different versions of voice, bass. And then at the end, we're mixing. We just pick what we like best, Uh no matter who recorded uh, and then that's how we finish the songs. You know, it's great.
0: Yeah, I'd love to hear it.
1: Oh man, I'm gonna send you some songs. You're gonna like. it.
0: Yeah, that's good. I'm how about glad. You? I'm glad you saw that. Yeah, no, no music, but you know, for me, painting. So during this whole time, I did one. Are you still painting? Yeah, I'll send you one. I I did a Taylor Swift painting for my friend's fiance. No way. So the same size as Mr. T, which oh I no way. So I'm, I think we were working together when I did Mr. Yes. T. Yes. It's huge. Same size. And then remember that one with the blue woman with the big flower that I did? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was still by far my favorite. But it's like I felt like that was the peak. Like Mr. T and that blue woman. I was like, ah, then every I don't want to do it anymore. Like a little angsty teenager. Like, "Um, yeah, I I can't do anything anymore. And I was happy my friend was going to get married. I said, you know what? I got to get out of get over this I uh, it has to be perfect mentality let right. me just do it It's not. there's no such thing as perfect just do it and push myself and yeah it had some flaws obviously but each piece is as long as the whole thing looks okay the little yep. flaws in the between and the details you know doesn't matter like and that's something it was about- important for me to uh, to do it because I love to paint but yeah. also for the kids to see that I, I said I was gonna do it, I finished it, I sent it. I love when I accomplish a little something that's artistic as a gift. Because for them they say, Oh, like you do you like it's not just all about work. Like do your thing that you like to do and share it. I love when yeah. they get to see that. So I I need to do that mm-hmm. more. <clears throat> so I'm probably gonna start another one. But yeah, that it was, was awesome. good. It
1: was good. It's you know, just uh, said that. Because I was just, I can't remember what I watched this. I was listening to a podcast or something or watching something on YouTube of this guy who's a pen t- painter, but he, every single time he paints something, he leaves on the street or he leaves in a public place with a little note saying, for free, free, take it.
0: Oh, cool. He doesn't
1: even, he doesn't <laughs> even know who, got who it? took it. Who got it? And he says, in his mind, he says, a piece of art doesn't mean anything unless it's sitting on someone else's, you know, wall and it's giving someone joy or, you know, or it's making a place look more beautiful, whatever. Um, and I thought it was very interesting. And, um, and I remember, yeah, now remember, and it's funny what you're seeing about, perfection you know because perfect is the biggest enemy of the excellent, right <laughs> yeah because and especially at work is the same thing with what i do like color correction like painting you can always change in your head you can always make it better right but learning how to let go it's probably one of the hardest things of say you know this is this is a yeah now, time, time is done. up <laughs> I'm done here let it go now it's you know let it fly and it's work on something else I'm glad you're doing it yeah no I remember dude yeah Jesus I remember that when you when you bought those huge canvases and you know uh, started a, yeah
0: that's I'm a, glad you're doing it that's good well I'm happy for you I probably have to start wrapping it up I hear the kids I'm supposed to every yeah, time man. every so every time we do a podcast I treat him to where he wants to go, like his favorite ice cream or frozen yogurt or wherever yeah. he wants to go. It's like, hey, this is I wanna remind him this is a big deal. You get to listen to my friends, yeah. you get to listen to grown ups, meet so many different types of people.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, for me, I love to talk to my friends. So this has been awesome. Like
1: no, this is, great. is fun. Thanks like for...
0: I know we could do another one for sure, maybe in the future.
1: Yeah, anytime for sure. Know, like, Thanks for inviting me
0: the uh yeah, is there is there anything project is there anything else floating on your mind that you just no. want to get off your head
1: no i think i spoke my mind it's funny because i was thinking about this and uh i was like what am i gonna tell him you know I'm like i have so many <laughs> things i would love to say and then um uh, like uh you know i i i talk too much so i know
0: no nah, you're it would not be
1: a pro- no no in general <laughs> So I knew it would not be a problem for me to spend time with you and talk. And I know we, you know, we could do this on a podcast. We could do this having lunch or dinner. We can do this over a beer and, or barbecue. You know.
0: Well, I can't wait. Um, I can't wait till to we're together again uh, in person. Again. Give you a big fat hug. There's one more yes. thing, and I think there's one more thing in closing. I I highlighted here. I wanted to read to you. Please. Uh, And this is a reminder since we're dads, because, you know, being a dad is, that's who you are now.
1: Oh, yeah. The big dad. That's what it's
0: all about. So this one was, uh, like, at the end, it was a bunch of the surfers talking after a long day, just, like, taking their turns saying something, quote, unquote, poetic, but just to, like, just say something random that's... Made up to be funny, like, they're playing cards, like, I'm going to pretend I'm a very insightful person and say something amazing, but just yeah. for fun while they're playing, right? Sure. And so each one says a different, totally random thing, right? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> sure. just to be fun, like, they're just shooting this yeah. shit, right? Yeah. So one of them, they're talking about uh Willy Wonka, for some reason, yeah. one of the guys. Sure.
1: Why not? Yeah. yeah.
0: So he says, uh Wonka wasn't a candy man, Art says. "Tart." tossing cards around the table. He was a magician, an alchemist. He turned chocolate into a religious experience. He says, I'll be the fortune teller's ball. What about Ronald, the guy who wrote the book? They say he actually foresaw the whole thing in one single dream. Wrote the whole thing, and it actually became a real company with real dollars and everything fictional became non-fictional but he dreamed it one night right oh. and so the next guy says okay I'll be a rusty nail bursting a pale pink bubble Brock Middle says in a I've been there done that tone he says there's no greater sin than the desecration of a child's spirit it's like what What? why'd you bring that up <laughs> you know they're all having fun and i thought it was it sounds bad but at the same time it's like as a it's awesome as a parent man it's such a reminder it's like oh yeah it's so easy dude you control everything and i it was just like (laughs) uh i read it on a day when i was like lost my temper and you know i hate those days i'm like get it right the next day you know sure it was understandable but too much and blah 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 and you hate yourself and then you're like i need to do it i know all that and i was like ah just remember let them enjoy that <laughs> you know we yeah. strap on everything from life and carry it and blah 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 and like right now it's like it is open these open eyes like we keep trying to shut them but i think yeah. it's, i think it's changing now i think so i hope
1: so i mean I don't have a lot of hope in humanity, but let's see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm pos- I'm the positive guy. It's going to be great. People will realize, you know, I hope so. I hope this whole thing, it's, you know, send a message. And I, I think so, you know, until we forget. Because that's the Same whole thing. thing. Things change for a while and then people forget. That's the problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad things are better for you. I'm glad you found a good space. You got Thanks, a good, beautiful no. family.
1: Yeah, no, things we are good. We got some
0: good weather over there in Thousand Oaks.
1: Oh, it's good weather, man. And one day Here's, you'll come damn. here
0: and sweat with us yeah. and slap the mosquitoes off of your legs. I can't wait. I love uh, that. You, you, to, about? you get to spray yourself with bug spray and sunscreen. That's when I was telling Santiago the other I was like, we, we in Texas, everybody smells like sunscreen and bug spray. <laughs>
1: yeah, 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 All yeah. summer,
0: most of yeah. fall.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just, I got it. Yeah.
0: You know. So, no, I love it. Can't wait. It's gonna be awesome. We got a nice place. Come hang out. You know, kids yeah. will
1: play. Hopefully, you know, sooner than later. We can't wait for the world to come back. You know, we for all of us to survive the apocalypse, zombie, and, and be out of this thing.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, take care, man. Let's. Uh, we'll keep in touch,
1: Corey. Great talking to you. Thanks again for you know inviting me and in. I love what you're doing and it was great seeing Diego. And uh, much love to your family. And I can't wait to see you again.
0: Yeah, awesome. I love you, man. Take care. You too, my and, brother. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon, man. Okay.